0: So Terry, what are you going to do if we get in the middle of this is, and
1: we say, you know, you know, hey man, I wouldn't even start an e-commerce business today. That's what I would do differently. Go, uh, go over to this other podcast and listen to them. Yeah, let's we'll just, <laughs> that's just uh, end the show right
0: now then. <laughs> that'll, that'll be a good little uh, little blooper reel for the start of it. Yeah, exactly. right. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get, get started. All right. Welcome to episode 60 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry. And this week we're gonna do things a little bit differently. I got my first two repeat guests on the show, Andrew Darian and Ezra Firestone. And we're gonna have a just roundtable discussion on what they would do differently if they had to start a new store uh, online today from scratch. So uh, the format is a little bit different. It's not gonna be our standard one-on-one interview. So kinda as the show matures, I wanna try some different things uh, just to take things to a different level. So if you guys enjoy this, please do leave a comment. Uh, once again. This will be episode 60 on the website. Uh, if the feedback's good, I'll definitely get them back or do similar formats with some different people. I mean, we can do stuff about marketing, you know, paid traffic. Uh, SEO, email marketing, kind of all this different kind of things with just a lot of people that are in this space. So uh, with that being said, there's also two blog posts I want to flag to you guys today uh, before we get into this episode. So one is by Tristan King over at Shopify Ninjas. And so in this post, he talks about uh, having a bilingual theme for your online stores. So maybe you have a store uh, that sells to two different languages or maybe you're overseas. You have a lot of customers that are uh, you're in, say you're in Germany, but you wanna sell on you know, English too or whatever. Uh, so basically if you need a second language for your store, how would you execute this and what are the different options you have? And so this is something that Tristan goes over in this post kind of as a guidepost on getting started. And so the second post is part two of how I got a product made overseas uh, in China. So if you remember part one, I talked about how I did keyword research, uh, I got a product idea and kind of tested things here and there just to make sure this was something worth going for. And so part two, talks about how I got the pre-sales for this product and kind of going into the order fulfillment run and kind of sending these boxes out one at a time and some challenges and scaling this into a bigger project. So make sure you check out both of these posts. Uh, If you miss it, it'll be on the website, buildmyonlinestore.com, otherwise join the mailing list so you get these alerts uh, right away. So with that being said, let's get into this week's episode. All right, so everyone, welcome to the show. Today, we've got our first two repeat guests, Ezra Firestone and Andrew Udarian. We're going to talk about how they would start their e-commerce business again uh, if they had the chance. So uh, what's going on, guys? Hey, not much. Thanks for having us. Thanks, man. Happy to be
2: here. It feels really good to be a repeat guest on the show. Uh, It makes me feel very good about
0: myself. (laughs) And so we have (laughs) both of you guys on at the same time. So. I just want to kind of experiment with a different formats. Uh, with this episode, it's going to kind of be more roundtable rather than like a formal interview. So we're just going to have a chat about what you guys would do differently if you had to, to start a story again today. And so, you know, before we go, just for someone that's new to the show, if this is their first episode, uh, kind of who are you guys and what do you do? So you know, I'm just going to flip a coin here just to be fair. So you guys don't think I'm biased. So, you know, if it's heads, it'll be you, Ezra, Andrew. Uh, you'll be tails. So
2: Well, tails never fails. So. Watch it happen.
0: Oh, yeah. He it, it is Tails. There you go. See? <laughs> oh, I'm so offended. So offended. <laughs> All right. So, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself and uh, what do you do?
1: Oh, well, uh, and my name is Andrew Udarian. I uh, run a couple of different dropshipping businesses over at Right Channel Radios and TrolleyMotors.net. Been doing that for about five years now. And uh, also blog about e commerce over at ecommercefuel.com. So, that's awesome. what I'm up to.
2: Cool. Cool. And Ezra? Hey, my name is Ezra, and I also run some e commerce businesses. Uh, BoomByCindyJoseph.com would be my um, sort of uh, face business that I show off. And uh, I also blog about e commerce at smartmarketer.com, and I have a services division where I do development on platforms like Magento and paperclip management and that kind of stuff. Um, and I will say, based on this podcast, I found Andrew. I, I first heard about Andrew on this podcast, and I had him come out as a guest uh, on a Hangout that I did for a couple thousand people over at Smart Marketer. And Andrew's segment, both on that Hangout and in my training course, has been by far one of the most popular segments. So um, yeah, thanks, man.
0: Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ezra. And so anyone who missed our episodes, uh, Ezra was on episode 33. Andrew was on episode 14. So, wow, more than half a year ago, boys. It's a long time.
2: (laughs) I will say, Terry, Andrew and I are both now podcasting. Andrew just released his, I mean, I saw an email for it. I haven't actually checked it out yet. You've got a podcast now, right, Andrew? I do, yeah.
1: E-commerce Fuel Podcast just released. it. It's about, uh, about a week old. <laughs> so pretty pretty young, but it's been fun. And, uh, and, and you're doing one as well, yeah?
2: Yeah, I'm good. But mine's less e-commerce based. Mine's kind of more about hippie stuff, uh, <laughs> lifestyle. Mine's, people seem to like it. It's the number one business podcast in Australia. It's called Think, Act, Get, but it's not e-commerce specifically related. So if you're, you want to check out another e-commerce podcast, I recommend the e-commerce fuel podcast
0: definitely yeah i just listened to all of andrew's episodes too definitely something uh worth checking out too so uh with that being said how about let's just jump into this because i know you guys have a limited time so let's just get started so the idea for this episode came upon me probably uh, we're actually getting this idea off the lifestyle business podcast just so i'm clear with everyone so i think they did an episode where they did a business idea smackdown and so And I'm sure you guys know one of the biggest problems with beginners is just finding an idea, you know, not knowing where to start or kind of being, you know, stuck with analysis paralysis. So I wanted to get you two on the show since you guys have so much experience to see, hey, you know, if you guys could start over again, what would you guys do? So we're also going to set some criteria uh, on if you had to start over again uh, for me. Uh, I set a two criterias of if you had 10K to start a business with and you also had one year of living expenses paid for. So it's not like you have infinite runway, uh, you have unlimited time, you actually have one year to get this up and running and about 10K to start. So I think that's a decent ballpark to run with uh, for anyone that's starting out. And just a hypothetical scenario, You know, if you were in this situation, what would you do? So uh, with that being said, you know, if we just had to do everything differently, starting over kind of real quick, uh, what would you guys do? And I'll just have uh, Andrew start off first. Yeah,
1: I'd say if I was going to kick it off again from the beginning, um, I'd say probably three things I'd focus on. First one is like focus on marketing uh, right away, just really emphasizing that as, as the most important thing out of the gates. And I'd make sure I wouldn't outsource that to a third party. When I, I don't know, I kind of... <laughs> I kind of completely messed things up with my two stores. The first one I did, I, I felt like I, I kind of got things right, and then I totally botched everything <laughs> on the second store, at least in terms of uh, process. And I outsourced a lot of the marketing, and, and uh, it ended up coming back to bite me uh, in the tail because I lost a lot of those rankings because the, the marketing just... You know, it got hit by the update. And so marketing's super important and, and doing it yourself, at least early on to understand how it works. Uh, I'd emphasize on building a brand. Um, I think that's becoming more and more important. I did that fairly decently with Right Channel Radios. With trollingmotors.net, that's not a real brandable name or a domain. And it's I kind of bought the domain purely for SEO. Uh, and I really wish that going back, I had picked something like trollingmotorpro.com, which was my original name. I got kind of got, got talked out of it or chose something else. But I think building a brand is, is more important. Um, and then finally, I kind of wish I would have picked a product in dropshipping. I could have scaled a little bit more into the stocking space if I wanted to. Both of my products, both of my lines are kind of difficult to bring in house in terms of the savings I would I would realize from buying them all in bulk versus drop shipping really doesn't necessarily uh, compensate for the hassle of you know investing all the capital and inventory costs and managing a warehouse and so I think having a kind of a long-term plan where you can as you grow you have the ability to to bring stuff in house if you're drop shipping to expand your margins and further grow your business that'd be something I'd like to go
0: back and change too so those are the three big ones for me Gotcha. Very cool, very cool. And so we'll come back to this a little bit later. Uh, Ezra, how about you, man? You know, those were all very good, by the way. Um, I would
2: take more time to pick my markets. You know, I have so much more information now on things like what price point works, um, you know, selling items that lend themselves to return customers, seasonality, weight, everything that's on that market criteria checklist that I created. And so I think that market selection would be something that I took a lot more time with based on the information that I have now. I'd also start with unique everything from the start. For example, I would not put up products with manufacturer's descriptions. Like, we're in a post-Panda world and, We've got site-wide penalties for things like that, and so, um, you know, one of the things that I did, and I always did until sort of six or eight months ago, is I'd throw up, uh, I'd throw up products on a new store just with manufacturer descriptions to get them live, and then I'd go back and rewrite them as I had time. I would definitely not do that uh, again. And when it comes, when it comes down to it, I think moving slower. And more methodically. So, setting up each venture as its own separate things with separate Google accounts, separate bank accounts, um, you know, separate set everything for each venture so that it would be easily transferable and liquidatable, which is the problem I ran into when I sold the store last year. It wasn't set up that way. It was harder to gather the data on that store because it was running out of a bank account that other business ventures were running out of. So it was hard to, to go back and look at a couple years of data and say, this is the profit. This you know these are the cost of goods sold. Um so I would I would set everything up a little bit clearer because I know a lot more about structure now and as Andrew mentioned, I think branding is in, is huge. So I would be blogging and doing video right from the start, I would have package inserts and be doing follow-up and retention. So basically I would take the time to think about the three areas that allow you to grow your business, which is visibility, right? that's traffic, getting people to know that your products exist, then it's conversion getting people to actually say yes, or take you up on, on the offers that you're making on your store and increasing your average order value. And then the third is generating repeat business. So I would start with those three things in mind, um, way more than I, have, than I was when I first got started. I wasn't thinking about conversion. I wasn't thinking about repeat customers. The only thing I was thinking about was visibility. And so I think those other two elements are what have you build a sustainable business, um, and I'd put a lot more attention on those.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you guys point this out because you guys have been in the business for a couple of years. So really, what took, I guess, a couple of years ago to start a business is much different than what it is in two thousand thirteen. So,
1: yeah, it's I mean it's it's getting more competitive, and you got to be more strategic. And I think there's as much opportunity uh, out there, especially with how fast e-commerce is growing. But it's you got to be you got to be more strategic about it. You can't just it's getting harder to just blindly throw up products you can drop ship on a basic domain without adding any kind of value or branding or creating your own product and, and doing well. Cause you'll just get killed by, uh, low prices on Amazon. And even if you're stocking stuff, you still, and you can pay for ads and, and pay you know, PPC stuff. I think it's still getting, you know, it's still, it's increasingly becoming more important to be strategic about it. And I thought, Ezra, those are awesome points. And I like the one you talked about niche selection. One thing I would have thought about with niche selection early on is, um, how well can you market a niche? Like if you're looking at a niche, you can kind of project down the road and it's a lot easier to market say, uh, you know, go-karts and it is going to be, uh, you know, rubber washers or something. That's a really bad example. But there's some niches lend themselves to be marketed really well online and be able to reach out to enthusiasts and, and communities. And they're just fun to read about. And others are just are tough. And so that's another thing that I'd be thinking about, too, is how am I going to market this thing? If you can't put together some kind of high level plan on, OK, here's how I'm going to attack this and drive traffic, especially if you're drop shipping where it's hard to buy traffic, um, that's, that's
2: kind of a red flag. It's a very interesting point from a because one of the things that I believe is that we are seeing um, content marketing and physical product marketing merge. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting thing to look at. Let's take a physical product market. Am I going to be able to do content marketing in this market?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because you really need the content marketing to push the envelope for your whole brand too. So where it's all converging into one kind of marketing flywheel, I guess, if you can call it that way. All right, awesome. And so this kind of moves into the uh, second question I have. So, uh, if you had to choose an e commerce business model today, uh, which one would you choose or what type of uh, business model would you go with? Uh, Let's have Ezra go first uh, this time.
2: Well, given the constraints that we've started, first of all, I've got a year of living expenses that paid, and I want to know how, what level of living expenses I Am I in like a Chinatown? Am I in like one of these Chinatown apartments with the, with the bathroom in the kitchen? Because I've literally seen apartments in Chinatown where the toilet is in the shower stall. So is it like that kind of living expenses, or am I like in a loft in Brooklyn, you know, with uh, ten windows? I, I want to know that But anyways, <laughs> so I, I would choose um, I, I would choose drop shipping, given that I only had ten grand, because I firmly believe that that's your best way of getting started. And I also believe that you can be the least Savvy marketer and still succeed with that model sh- based on the sheer number of SKUs and channels you have as a dropshipper. If you're doing um, importing or warehousing or white labeling, um, you've got m- much. You have so many less SKUs, and I'm doing those business models. Right? and it requires a little bit more sophistication on the marketing end from my perspective. If you're leveraging, let's say, you know, Facebook traffic to a um, longer form sales page, because the thing about selling. Um, Selling products that you're white labeling or that you are manufacturing and importing when you only have a few SKUs is it requires you to educate the customer more than you have to educate them on, let's say, a Barstool's website. So I think that given the constraints we have, I would choose drop shipping. If I wasn't um, constrained with 10 grand, I would probably choose white label business and I'll tell you why which is a white label business because I believe that there's a lot to be said for building your own brand. It's a lot easier to liquidate. And now that I have money and time and understanding and ability, these are the types of businesses that I think are uh, that I enjoy more, that I believe have more potential. But I think for folks who are just getting started, drop shipping is absolutely the best model because you can get data in a market. You can find your best sellers and import those for um for better margins. And I created a course on e-commerce and I taught drop shipping as the way to start because I think it's the most easily, the most accessible way to start. I think they're all fantastic business models and they all have their merits and they're all obviously have huge potential for success. Um, so I think given the constraints drop shipping, but if it was up to my own, like for example, what am I doing? I just created a new white label brand of skincare. So like that's what I'm personally doing is, is, is that model. But um, yeah, so that's my answer. Gotcha. All right, Andrew.
1: Yeah, I wish I had a uh, completely opposite point of view here, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I think, I think Ezra, uh, for the most part, hit it on the head. I think dropshipping is awesome because, just you know, simply put, it's it allows you to learn with the least amount of risk. And if you're just getting into the game, it's a great way to learn the industry, to learn uh, e-commerce, and, and still make a, a viable go at it without having to invest, you know, invest the farm and put the farm on the line. So um, I love dropshipping. It, it's a it's really flexible. Um, it's incredibly location independent. Uh, you don't don't have to start with much capital, but on, on the flip side, you got to be a lot more strategic about how you pick a niche because there are a lot of niches that do not lend themselves well to drop shipping. Uh, maybe we can talk a little about that later. But you got to be more strategic about how you grow a niche, and you also, you know, it takes longer to ramp those kind of businesses up. And so, I would say, you know, for the majority of people, drop shipping is great. If you know, kind of where I am at now. I'm looking more towards now that I've you know got some experience and got some dropshipping businesses set up and running. You do make more money with with stocking your own products and importing them. It's more work. Uh, there's more risk. You have to invest more upfront. But yeah, there's definitely uh, a higher return on that. And I would say if there's someone who's starting out that's pretty web savvy, that's especially maybe has some experience in e-commerce, maybe they work for an e-commerce company, uh, or maybe they're just a really good marketer uh, and and they feel fairly confident in being able to market and scale up a, a store. Uh, I'd say. You know don't don't rule out stocking or manufacturing right out of the gates if you've only you know you only got ten thousand dollars and if that's the case you got to focus on a pretty small catalog so you know especially if, if you can find something where maybe you can really just focus on two or three products or maybe you even manufacture just one product with that um, you know you limit your size but also being able to focus on just a few SKUs it's kind of nice too because you can really focus on making awesome pages your, your marketing uh, is more concentrated and so uh, I think there are a few exceptions though when stocking manufacturing does make sense out of the gates for people if they've got some of those those skills already in the bag.
0: Gotcha. Alright, fair enough. And so what do you guys think about Kickstarter? I mean, this is certainly a route we can take too, right? It's not like a traditional model, but sure enough, I think it has its pros and cons too. Like, what do you guys think?
2: Are we talking about Kickstarter? Did you Kickstarter?
0: Yeah, like you had 10k and you had a year living expenses, but you just went on Kickstarter to, you know, make a prototype and just put it on there and get started that way.
2: I think that like based on it, so I've never done a crowdfunding campaign, but from what I understand, Kickstarter doesn't give you any of the money unless you reach your goal, right? Yeah, yeah. So you'd probably want to set a pretty low goal (laughs) to make sure (laughs) that you reach it. I don't know. I don't know anything about that business model. It seemed, uh, um, I mean, if you put together a really solid video that explains your product well and you market it via Facebook, I've seen people be very successful um, generating, building sort of get funding their products. And just you see it on Facebook when you see ads for things like that and you go and look and they've got 300 grand in funding and their goal is 25 grand like that new thing, um, tile or whatever it's called. That thing where you can, uh, you've seen that on Facebook in the Facebook feed, the tile? Yeah, I've seen it's, that, Ezra. I know you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's, it's cool, man. It's this thing where, um, it, it, it's you—it's like this thing that looks like a little computer chip, a little white computer chip, and you can put it on anything and then any, and then it basically tracks that thing. So anywhere, anywhere that chip goes, anyone who has this Tile app installed on their phone, can, you can log in and you can see where your thing is based on if it's close enough to someone else's phone. So it's crowdsourced, lost, and found through these little chips that last like a year long. Very cool. Wow.
0: So something like probably the NSA would use, right, since they're all spying <laughs> on us. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I think um, crowdsourcing and Kickstarter. I think it's a really interesting
1: model. And I've, I've, you know, there's been, you know, like the uh, that tag Ezra was talking about. There's, I think you had the Watch Guy on um, a couple episodes ago. Was listening to that great great interview by the way. And uh, when I was thinking about longboards, there's these these guys. Have you guys seen this one? The ones the uh, the electric powered longboards. Have you seen those? Dude, they look amazing. Oh, I know. I they're like a thousand bucks, but I was still tempted to buy one because they look so cool. They're Terry the they're, they're longboards that have super efficient batteries on the bottom, and so uh, you know they've got enough juice to take you I don't know like three or four miles, and they can take you up hills in San Francisco, and it's it's pretty yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, you know, I it's I think it's an amazing platform, and it's a little little tough. I think you got to be more strategic. I would the only time if I had 10k it really, I think, makes most sense if you're focusing on one product, a product that has some, some really, uh, some social appeal that's easy to market, going back to that thinking about how well you can market your product if I was going to try to buy, you know, six or seven or eight different SKUs and maybe make some white label stuff it's obviously not going to be a good fit for that but um, for people who are looking to manufacture something to focus on one product, I think it's Especially if it's, it's compelling, it's a great opportunity. Yeah,
0: because it seems like everything on there has some unique angle that makes it like this longboard thing or, you know, the wooden watches I talked about. And even kind of like some artist stuff seems to resonate very well. But I think it's kind of like a big hit or miss depending on your story and how unique your value proposition is too, I think.
2: I think it's yeah. probably not accessible for someone just getting started. I think it's like, a, you know, yeah. like we could probably all sit down and say, all right, let's pitch in, you know, 10, 20 grand each and come up with some fancy product and put together a viral video. Like, I think we could probably pull off a Kickstarter campaign. But I think if you're just getting started, it's probably not your best um, channel. Yeah,
0: gotcha. Understood, understood. All right, so let's move on to the next topic then. So, you know, it's your first week to start this new business. So what would you do the first week? Now, let's have uh, Ezra go first.
2: All right, assuming I had my market and keywords all set up, right? I had my market picks. I knew what my keywords were. I had my product and uh, products and suppliers all set up. What I would do is I'd map the store, right? So I'd figure out my homepage, my section pages, my product pages, my more information pages, my pay-per-click landing pages, blog topics. I'd keyword map those so I'd know what keywords are going on on my homepage, what I'm targeting there, what keywords are for my section pages, what keywords are for my product pages, what I'm, you know, what kind of content I'm leveraging for my more information pages. For example, what are my unique selling propositions that I'm going to have on my "Buy from Us" pages? What what uh, keywords am I going to target for pay per click? And the reason is because I'm going to have to have my product descriptions written. And in order to have my product descriptions written, I need to know what keywords I'm mapping to those specific products. I need to have my section page content created. I need to know what keywords I'm mapping to those section pages. I need to do my keyword research and pick a few items I'm going to test with. I need to have my imagery made up. I need to create my first video blog posts and set up Facebook ads for that because I'd allocate a very low budget to um, spending money, branding the store through Facebook to that community. So that's what I do in the first week. This is first week Ezra, not like first this like, is like yeah two months. <laughs> yeah, this, well I mean look, you get that started right like and mapping the store, fine. Okay. I'm gonna do that in the first week. Have the descriptions and all that stuff created is going to take longer, but we'll get that process started. Once I've mapped the store, I have the blueprint to do the rest of that is what I'm saying.
0: So so, you, no, I, so basically yeah. you've had a process of like step one to step 100 on exactly what to do already and there's just an well, execution for you, right?
2: Yeah, I think that you've got to map your store to start, right? And once you've mapped your store, you can then have your content created, you can do your pay-per-click research, you can have your imagery made up, you can create your blog talk, like you, you've you got, once the store map in my, and it was the way I do it, once the store's been mapped, I have a roadmap for like the creation of a whole bunch of other stuff that needs to happen.
0: And you can really do this in one week? <laughs> well, I can map the store. I can map the store in a week, okay, and I yeah, can get yeah.
2: those other. And yeah. I can outsource. Okay, here's the pro, here's the different product descriptions that need to be written. I can send that out, all out to my guys. You know, um, so I can I can get the process started. But this, in in the first week, the map, the mapping is the one thing that would happen. And from there, I just gave you the list of the other stuff. That would, I mean, obviously, yeah, <laughs> all that stuff's not going to be done in week one, but the mapping
0: would be. Yeah, I understand. It's like a mind map, but it's like of a store of like different, different pages, all this stuff. Yeah, I actually did that like a couple of weeks ago and that you bring it up. But well, that's for another topic. Uh, anyways, uh, Andrew, what about you? I'd say it kind of depends, right, if you've got your niche all picked out. So that's
1: kind of I kind of had when I was thinking through this, I was like, well, probably the first thing is if you don't have a niche, obviously that's your step number one. And I'd say set down and set yourself some kind of some rough uh, deadlines and guidelines. Like, how, how long is it going to take you to do this? And set, give yourself some accountability uh, as to when you can get going. Because I think, again, the hardest thing for people getting going is picking a niche and, and just pulling the trigger and moving forward with that. I'd say the majority of people don't get past that, that stage because it's really intimidating. And so, um, but what most people also, I think, overestimate is how confident people are. Uh, who do have stores that get started in a niche. I don't know about you, Ezra, but like when I get started into a niche, I do research as, as I'm sure you do. And, and you know, you, you, you look into it and you do all as much homework as you can. But ultimately when you move forward, you know, you still are not, you know, you're still not sure if it's going to work. You hope it is. And you, uh, based on your, never, your data. Never, no, dude, you just you know you just don't know. And so, you know, that that's kind of, I think what separates folks from, uh, who have stores and have at least something going from, from those who don't largely is just, you know, moving forward despite the fear. And so, to do that, you know, really set a timeline. Maybe it's, you know, two, three weeks. Uh, niche research takes a while. Uh, and uh, if you're going to do it right, it takes some time. And so, I'd allocate, you know, maybe it's, depending on how much you have. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a week of just nonstop research. Maybe it's, you know, three weeks of on the weekend kind of stuff, but give yourself a deadline and then decide when to move forward and, you know, set some kind of embarrassing goal or something. Tell your best friend and post on Facebook. That if you don't get something picked and moving forward with a supplier account in three weeks, you're going to dress up in a chicken suit and go out on the town on Friday night or something, something to keep you accountable. You know, that would be one thing I'd say. And, and if we're talking past niche selection research, uh, I'd say, especially if you're in dropshipping, the first thing I would want to do is build just a little bit of, of marketing momentum. Uh, and so, you know, I'd probably get up a real rudimentary website, uh, right out of the gates, uh, because when you launch your first website, especially if you're dropshipping, you're not driving a whole lot of pay-per-click traffic. Uh, it, It's not, you know, it's gonna take a while to ramp up. And so I like to get something fairly basic online first uh, and then start that marketing process as quickly as possible. And you don't have to do that for months and months and months, but, you know, reach out to a few people, uh, get some backlinks, write some guest articles on, uh, you know, Potentially related sites. One, so you can get indexed in Google because it takes a little while for Google to really get to know you, to index you, to start trusting you. I don't know if the sandbox is still applicable. It used to be something where Google would put you kind of in this little, uh, "Hey, you're new to the game. We're not really going to give you any good rankings for a while." I don't know if that's still the case. Uh, But uh, you know, getting some visibility early on, uh, that first point of when you appear is going to help. And so I I would work on really just reaching out and getting a few contacts to get the marketing and the SEO process. It doesn't have to be months and months, but something, and then you can slowly start working into getting to know your market, understanding your customers, really interacting with them. And then, especially if it's a new niche, you're not going to know what they need and what their problems are, what the best products are right out of the gates. That's going to take a while. And so I've made the mistake a couple, at least once, of really building out a perfect world-class website for a niche I knew nothing about. And then I had to tear the whole thing down when I actually knew about it and rebuild
0: it from scratch. Awesome. And so let's go into a little bit about niche selection because, you know, this is a big topic for one. I think, like, one thing, like, I realized myself, is, like, when you pick a niche, it's easy to say, hey, you know, I have these five ideas. I'm going to full around with them and just do keyword research all day, you know, figure out which one's the best one. But you're never taking the stab at it until you actually do. You're actually committing yourself to say, hey, you know, this might not work. And, you know, by committing to this, you're really you know, closing yourself to that, to the other options where, you know, you, you kind of have to face the fear that, hey, this might not work. Right? I mean, what do you guys say about that? So I think, you
2: know, you, you, like Andrew just said, you're never 100% sure. It doesn't matter how how much information you have about that market up front, how much research you've done, you don't know until you're in their playing. And I think that we've got, um, we've got a few different uh, sort of We've got a few different starting points. There's first, there's market ideas, right? So like ideas for different markets. And then there's the criteria. The way I look at it, there's the criteria within that market. So how do I generate market ideas? Well, I like niches of niches, right? So I won't go into dog supplies, but I'll go into dog beds or dog collars. So a little niche of a bigger niche. I like, um, I like stores that uh, are, are seasonal. Right, So seasonal businesses, I think, are, are great, like Halloween and Christmas and Valentine's Day and that kind of thing. I like to look at the top designers on every platform, so like your Magento developers, your uh, commerce Revolution, your Shopify, your Zen Cart, your 3D Cart. Like I'll look at all those top designers, I'll look at their websites, and I'll see the before and afters. Because if someone can afford to pay the top designer on a, a particular platform for a redesign, well, they've probably got a pretty good market. And the way I fi- find those top designers is I just Google that term and the people who are paying. For traffic in that market, are can afford to buy traffic for the term Magento developer. I won't actually click on their ad because I don't want to charge them money, but I'll look at their website and then I'll go to it. So uh, there, there's a bunch of ways to generate ideas for markets, right? Like you look at Amazon, you look at the sites, you look at niches of niches, you, you weird embarrassing things like Andrew talks about. So you've got like your idea generation, and then with it, once you have a couple ideas, there's basically uh, uh, the criteria of the market like what are the gross margins is the average order value above 75 bucks and below let's say $350 does it lend itself to return customers does it lend itself to multiple item orders you know things like that can they find the product locally so there's like this uh, there's a bunch of criteria that I like to have a market meet once I have an idea and so I'll generate a bunch of ideas and then I'll look at the criteria I'll look at those markets and um and see whether or not they fit the criteria of a market that I'd like to enter.
0: Yeah. All right. Andrew, anything to add? Yeah. And sorry, Terry, I apologize, but what
2: was (laughs) – can you restate the
0: question again? I I got a little fuzzy on what you were asking. Yeah, I think – God, even even I forgot too. I think we were talking about uh, niche selection and kind of being afraid to pull the trigger or was that –
2: Yeah. I kind of went into a rant, but I think essentially um, fundamentally the question was, what do you have to say about niche selection, dude?
0: pretty much.
1: Yeah, man. (laughs) This selection is big uh, and people kind of, I think, I think it matters more in dropshipping than it does for stocking. Um, I mean, I kind of been talking about this a bunch the last, last month or so, but I really think there's only four ways that you can, you can build an e-commerce, a viable e-commerce business. You either got to compete on price, which is a horrible way to try to make a a go at it. Uh, You're not going to be able to beat Amazon and a lot of the other guys. You can either manufacture your own product, which is you know, so you've got something unique to the market that you can control price and distribution on. Uh, you can sell existing products, uh, like drop shipping, but you've got to add some kind of other value there. Uh, or you've got to create a brand experience where someone's going to pay more for your product specifically because there's a lifestyle or an experience where something kind of wrapped up into that product and that, that brand and company. And so I think you gotta, you gotta look for one of those four, you know, myself, uh, you know, I, I, I've, just done the drop shipping adding value and so I love complicated niches I love niches where um, where you it's really not inherently um, obvious especially for someone coming in what they need to buy there's lots of components there's lots of different decisions to make uh, you know if you're going out and and um, you know just buying a, uh, you know buying a oh, I guess even in the, even in the bowl industry I, I'm bad I'm bad at coming up with analogies <laughs> on the fly So I'm stop. but Uh, You know, I love markets where you get into and and newbies, especially people that are new, just don't have any idea what works together. So the more confusing a niche is, the more choices need to be made, the more room there is to add value. And so of all those four I went down, competing on price, building your own product, adding value of some kind or creating a brand experience, you've got to be able to say, this is that strategy I'm going after uh, for the niche, because if you don't know you know that's tough you need to have an idea out of the gates otherwise you're, you're kind of asking for trouble so that's that's one thing I would emphasize for niche selection make sure you know
0: which one of those four you're going to be which one of those four strategies you're going to be pursuing yeah but I think just to add on that I think like the niche criteria you guys both listed like it seems in 2013 it's a lot more clear than say you know, 2005, when everyone was just getting started, right? Like, I think kind of like Tim Ferriss wrote about it in the 4-Hour work week, but now, you know, after so many years, every like, I think Ezra, you have this big 15-point checklist in your course. I know, Andrew, you have a really big one, too, and we're kind of like, if you just combine these two. You kind of have a good criteria to just run all these ideas through, and whatever comes out in the end, you know, it's probably one worth going for.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a little clear now because it's more, it's, it needs to be, I think, you know, eight years ago, uh, it was easier to, to have success with, with, you know, it didn't have to be quite as picky about a niche because there was less competition. The margins weren't as tight because they you know, pay-per-clicked, uh, buying traffic was cheaper. And so, uh, you know, it didn't, if you, if you went by all these guidelines, you'd probably make even more money, but you could still, you know, probably get a viable store up without being quite as picky. But I think in the environment today where it's getting a little more competitive and you got big players like Amazon coming in and more competition. Uh, you know, more than ever, there's more people never buying online. But, you know, I think uh, you got to be more strategic about how you do it because those bigger players are taking a larger share of the uh, share of the market.
2: And now I'm confused about what we're talking about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's your turn now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that you were just talking about the same topic of next, next election, right?
0: Yeah. But we were talking about how kind of the guidelines now in 2013 are kind of much more clear than, say, 2005 but Andrew was saying in 2005 you could really just kind of throw up a store and kind of get started right?
2: Yeah you could slap, this is the same thing but my analogy for it is that the faceless e-commerce store has died you can no longer just slap a bunch of products up on a store and expect to uh, build a business based solely upon listing products that already exist on the internet. Back in the day you could just slap some products up and run some traffic at them, and you could build a business with that. These days, there's a lot more involved, and yes, we know what that stuff is, but it does—it means that you have to do it. Um, and there's a lot of folks who are still trying to just list products up there. And yeah, you make—you'll make a sale or two. You know, you'll definitely make some sales if you generate some SEO traffic. But I like to buy traffic. That's what I like to do. I, I mean, of course, I'm all about SEO too, and and um, I do SEO for all my stores, and I ran. And that stuff, but I, I always start with purchasing traffic, and you can no longer purchase traffic successfully to a store like that.
0: Gotcha, understood, understood. All right, so let's move on to the next topic then. So uh, we have 10k to start this business with. You know, how would you guys invest this 10k? So uh, Ezra, why don't you go first?
2: Thanks, man. I'm getting privilege here, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. I not I like going first. Uh, and, but I, anyways, all right. So realistically, when we consider the add-ons and upfront costs, 2,000 bucks is on. When we take into account we've got to buy our live chat add-on, we've got to pay for our phone, we've got to pay for our store platform. Those three things right there are eighty bucks on a monthly basis. We've got to have our imagery created, probably gonna spend five hundred bucks or so on banners and things like that getting started. Gotta have our product descriptions written depending on the number of SKUs. That's you know, three or four bucks a description. So that's definitely six hundred bucks or so or something. I mean it's gonna be you're gonna spend some money on product descriptions. You gotta have your section page content written. So you've got to like you're going to spend a couple grand, in my experience, getting yourself set up. So really, we've got 8k or 8k or so to spend, which isn't a lot. I mean, it's a good amount of money, but I would spend it. And I know this may be, this is probably this is where we're going to differ. I would spend it solely on pay per click product listing ads, Amazon ads, because I believe that if you have a good store set up, if you've got everything that we've just talked about, you're adding value to your market, your store is unique, your product descriptions are unique, you're doing everything right, that there is no market where you can't find profitability somewhere with pay per click, some keywords at in certain locations around the country at certain times of the day are going to generate profit for you. And if you've got eight thousand dollars to test with, you've got enough money to um, spend on pay per click to find what those profitable keywords are and start generating yourself some profit. So I would I would allocate that solely to pay-per-click, the rest, of that, the rest of that money once I had my store set up.
0: All right. And before I get into Andrew's uh, version, um, so the 8K, would you assume someone is a beginner to pay-per-click, or they have some experience already, or I mean, are you, what, wh- where are you coming from here?
2: I mean, I, I have a lot of experience with pay-per-click, which is why I would do that. If you're a beginner, I would suggest going through a lot of pay-per-click courses, because I still think that you're better off... Maybe you would do four and four if you're just getting started out, allocate four or so towards SEO and content creation and um, you know link building and like trying to get your store to rank. Because what I do is I what the way I do it is I allocate all my budget towards pay-per-click. I find the keywords that are profitable, or I find the keywords that are generating sales, and then once I know, okay, this keyword generates sales on pay-per-click, but the, the clicks cost too much for me to generate a profit, but I know this keyword's a seller, that's an SEO keyword. This, this keyword um, generates sales on pay-per-click and is profitable, that's an SEO keyword. So I, I leverage pay-per-click to find out what keywords could should be SEO for. But if you're just getting started out, you might want to split it half and half. I still think that, that, that taking the time, this pay-per-click for e-commerce is not super difficult. It's like I've got a, um, a one-hour training on this one way of, of doing pay-per-click, right? Just, just, I mean, of course, Google's pay-per-click platform is the most robust and and biggest and most intelligent advertising platform on the planet and there's so many different things like YouTube advertising and the display network and retarget all kinds of stuff but if we're talking specifically about search network advertising let's forget about product listing ads let's forget about everything else let's just only think about someone is typing something into Google let's forget about the search partners and you know keyword they're typing in and you're leveraging that particular medium to send traffic to your site I think that given that set of parameters anyone with a beginner or not, and spend three or four hours and learn how to set up a campaign that they can then leverage if they've got money to spend to look at that data and figure
0: out what's profitable for them. Gotcha. Fair enough. All right, Andrew, what's your side? Yeah, this is good
1: because we'll have a little bit of a little contrast here. And I'd say on... Uh, I think both of our both of our advice is going to be shaped on our experiences and our approaches to stores. And and with Ezra, I, I'd agree on on running pay per click right out of the gates. I think it's an awesome way to get an idea for what terms convert. Uh, I think it's a great idea for uh, for building some momentum and some uh, um, getting to know your market, especially early on, because SEO is going to take a while to scale up. And so I think right out of the gates, I'd I'd, I'd allocate a little bit of that money towards towards PPC. And uh, I'm going to say this with the caveat that I don't have as much. PPC experience as Ezra. Uh, and, and in my experience, I've had a harder time driving profitable traffic with dropshipping at least, because when you look at dropshipping, and again, this is kind of a, just a, a ballpark assumption, but a lot of times the margins are 10 to 30%. Uh, and so you can make maybe a break even, make a little bit of money. But, but in my experience, I've I've always opted more, at least in the dropshipping model for, for SEO and really investing a lot in that. And so from that perspective, I would spend a good portion of that money, I'd probably do a lot of the writing and at least getting into the niche uh, out of the gates myself. I think it's important to at least do something a little bit before you hire someone else. I think I've had a lot of times where I've hired people to do things I don't know anything about and it ended disastrously. <laughs> so I think it's good to know the business first, but once you get a sense of the business, I would probably invest a lot of that money into hiring a really high quality writer. Um, they don't necessarily need to know your niche but somebody who it's hard to teach someone to write well. Uh, and so I'd go out and try to find a good writer that would help me with writing great descriptions that would really help me uh, with going out and, and finding guest posting opportunities, writing really well-crafted outreach emails, uh, you know, writing a really focused blog, doing a lot of that content marketing. You know, we were going back to what we were, we said where, you know, pr- advertising products and content marketing with v- useful, valuable information around those products. is just getting, it's just getting more and more important. And so long-term for me, you know, that's something where if you do it in a white hat way, in a way where it's not going to burn you or has less, you know, y- we can never tell for sure what Google is going to penalize, but if you do it in a way that has, is less likely to, to, um, in five years, not be getting you rankings and you invest and do it the right way. That, t- that, I mean, this pays a huge ROI in the long run. Most of my stores now I'd say, well, Almost exclusively, uh, I'd say the traffic comes from organic sources, either search engines or word of mouth or guest posts and things like that. And that's something where if you if you pour a lot of time in up front, uh, you know it takes a while to scale up. But I'd say the majority of the work, probably 80% of the work, for the market, for both of those businesses happened in the first year, and then you can really you still have to keep up, you, can, you know keep some upkeep going. But once you get that base of uh, of information and SEO and links out there, uh, it really pays huge dividends for, for a long time. So that's what I would do on a dropshipping model for stocking products. It's a different deal. I think paid per trap. I'd invest much more in paid traffic if I was stocking or manufacturing
0: my own products. And I think I'd probably take more of a, of Ezra's approach for that. So. Yeah, interesting. I, I think can, certainly there's no right or wrong way to do it. I think. I mean, certainly I can see both how you, you guys had different approaches to this whole thing, too. So,
1: yeah. And I'd actually, Ezra, I'd love to hear from you. And maybe, you know, because obviously we both, in, you know, we both do drop shipping. I think you do more stocking and white label stuff, obviously, than me, because I'm not doing any of it right now. So, have you found do you, for that pay per click approach, is that something that you have found even in drop shipping markets with 20% margins, you're still able to make some, you're after all of the work and, and kind of account for the time of setting up that PPC campaign you're still able to make it profitable with a, a 20% drop shipping margin
2: yeah and that's you know there, there's you're not going to have all your keywords that are profitable but the point is that you will find that's that's my whole theory and philosophy with regards to pay-per-click is that it doesn't any drop ship market there are going to be keywords that are profitable in certain locations around the country at certain times of the day and if you have the money to spend to find out what those are it, it's worth it and um and you know I've been doing paperclip for a long time but nowadays they make it so easy like Google has this thing called the dimensions tab and basically you can run a campaign and it used to be that we'd have to uh, append all these crazy parameters to our URLs to send data into Google Analytics so we could see things like where in the country uh is converting best what times of day are converting best what days of week are con- are converting best um, what specific cities you know like what what positions All that information is all available to you within one click inside the AdWords dashboard now. So it's really easy to prune down quickly. And what I have people do is start with one or two keywords. In the in and I have them look at Google Trends and find out what what um, locations around the country have the most search volume for their keywords. It may not be the highest converting places, but they know that they'll get volume. So I'll have them start and I'll have them start only in the daytime, which is generally when physical products do the best. Uh, in my experience, is during the day. Uh, some some markets do better in the morning. Some markets do better in the evening. But you know, from midnight to eight a.m., um, generally conversions drop across physical product boards. So I start. I start with all, this, all these parameters and just a few keywords and then um, test from there and I'm, I'm 95% of the time able to find keywords that are profitable in dropship markets. Now it's not going to be your only source of traffic, like for example now. Product listing ads are so much. Product listing ads are 30% cheaper than than um, than text based ads, right? So, uh, and nobody is doing this thing that I'm talking about, where they're mapping their products to keywords. So, for example, if you take the gift basket market and you look at a keyword like smoked salmon gift basket that is a very specific product level keyword well none of the gift basket companies are taking the time to name a product after that keyword so when you go to that when you go into google shopping and you type in smoked salmon gift basket it's pulling up gift baskets that have smoked salmon because google's got all the data indexed or whatever so it's pulling up gift baskets that have the, the, the have smoked salmon in that. but the guy who's got the 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 basket called smoked salmon gift basket even though his dropshipper calls it festive holiday gift basket if he changes that name to smoked salmon gift basket he now has the most relevant product for product listing ads. So if you take the time to map your products to keywords, you can get really um, cheap product listing ad clicks and and make good money with PLAs. I I think PLAs are the um, biggest opportunity for any dropshipper getting started in paid advertising right now.
1: It's actually funny you say that, Ezra, because it's something where, I'm going to say this after I just ranted off about building up SEO and organic traffic, (laughs) but I heard, I heard the, uh, I'm trying to broaden my mind a little bit in marketing strategies. and, And there's a guy I'm working with who pitched me on, Hey man, PLAs are you know, they're, they're a great opportunity. A lot of e-commerce guys, even drop shipping merchants are, are seeing some success with them. And so with the trolling motor site where there's a little bit more profit per order because uh, the order sizes are larger, we're in the middle of testing that right now. And so I hope you're right. It'll be interesting to see how the uh, how the results come out in the wash for that in a couple months.
2: Yeah, let me know. And I've got a guy who, who's built a software for um, comparison shopping engines and PLAs that basically allows you to enter in your, your profit margins on a per product basis. And then wow. um, it'll essentially... Uh, review your data over the first month or so and then it can automatically uh remove items uh, it can automatically remove items from your feed that are not profitable it's pretty incredible dude so That's i'll cool. shoot you that offline
0: yeah thanks <laughs> so for someone who doesn't know what pla is can you just run over that real quick uh, either of you guys
2: yeah so we've got we've got um am i is this okay that i do this andrew oh yeah go for it okay cool i was kind of taking the floor so i wanted to check um the, we've got comparison shopping engines, places like Find and Price grabber, um, which is what Yahoo now, uh, which is what Yahoo, um, Yahoo products used to be and now price, they, price, Yahoo basically integrated their, their product listings the same way that Google, Google has a product listing or comparison shopping engine called. Google Shopping. So if you ever clicked on Google and went over the shopping part of it and clicked search, you know, search for a product, it brought up a, a list of a bunch of products that's called a comparison shopping engine. And there's a whole bunch of them. There's 30 or 40 of them, buy.com, all this stuff. And so um, you can take your products and you can feed them all, out to all these different engines. And each one of these engines allows you to run advertising on their platform. And that's called a product listing because it's not a text-based ad. It's an actual product list. It's a place where people, it's called the buyer engine. People are going there to actually search for physical products that they want to buy. So it's a little bit different than a search engine. And, uh, and yeah, that's pretty much what, what it is. Um, and it's a really awesome way to sell physical products because the people who are shopping there, it's kind of like little mini Amazons. People are out there looking specifically for physical products. And um, and it's, it's, it's pretty easy to run ads because it's all keyword-based. And as long as your products are mapped to different keywords, you can, you can um, send them out to these different product engines. And, and, of course, you've got to set up conversion tracking for each one. It's kind of a pain in the butt. But it's a great way to um, generate traffic. It's a, new, it's a new channel of traffic that didn't exist, let's say, six years ago when I started this, this, this comparison shopping engine marketplace that is available now.
0: Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So we just got a few minutes left. So let's just uh, wrap things up a little bit. Let people know where they can find you online. So let's have Andrew go first uh, this time. Yeah, probably the best place to find me is over at
1: ecommercefuel.com. I blog about, uh, you know, just running, running stores. Uh, and my experiences. Is- uh, with, with that and so that's probably the best place uh, another good place to find me is is on the podcast do a weekly podcast like we talked about at the top just every Friday morning uh, doing a lot of stuff like this you know um, just chat, chatting with people about, about e-commerce what's working what's not success stories things like that and that's the e-commerce fuel podcast uh, you can check it out at the blog ecommercefuel.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes just search for e-commerce fuel
2: you can find me at smartmarketer.com that's where I blog about marketing and uh... A lot about e-commerce, and also if you want to get into some um, fancy pants stuff, then you can check out ThinkActGet.com. Not really fancy pants, <laughs> but just like you know, more sort of mindset and lifestyle focused.
0: Nice, sounds good. All right, so listeners, you guys know where to find these two gentlemen: uh, com for Andrew and smartmarketer.com for Ezra. So uh, let's just wrap this up, guys, and uh, we'll catch up next time. Awesome, thanks a lot, Terry. It's been fun.
2: Thanks, Terry, and thank you, listener, because I think that. You know the most valuable thing that you have to spend is your time and the fact that you're choosing to spend it with us is really nice. So thank you.
0: And if you guys like this, uh, do let me know. Maybe we'll do more of these uh, in some upcoming episodes. So all right, guys, take care and uh, we'll keep in touch. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website, at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store Podcast.